0: Hi friends, and welcome to the Oak Roots podcast. I'm your host, Sam Myrick, and I'm going to get you into today's Your Story So Far episode as fast as I can. Before I do, uh, remember that I'm available to have this same kind of talk with you. We can take a couple of hours to walk through your life story so far, and then you can choose whether you wanna keep it for yourself or have it published like this one. You can go to oakroots.net to see services available and what fees look like, or you can email me at sam at oakroots.net. All right, let's get into today's story. I guess my
1: earliest memories, I can think of the first house that I lived in, which I lived in until I was like 12, so, you know, it's hard to remember what I'm remembering exactly. It's... Right, I can kind of pinpoint better earlier memories, like with my grandfather, because my grandfather died when I was five, six. So I know I'm at least remembering before that. And, you know, vague, vague memories. I can, I can pinpoint a few memories before that because of the car that I remember my mom driving, which we, it was like very early on, you know. So do you remember what it was? Or yeah. did you just have a yeah, picture it? Yeah, it was a it was the a Chevy Jimmy. Like, you know, it was like oh, yeah. early SUV type.
0: Yeah, like early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. It was probably.
1: it was probably early 80s. Yeah. 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 The model was. It yeah. was definitely in the early 80s cuz that's yeah. how old I was. So
0: and Where where was this? Where was that first house?
1: Uh in Big Spring, Texas, where I was born Okay.
0: Yeah. And you talked about some of those memories you know predate five or six because your grandfather's in them or the vehicles in them. Um, was your grandfather or your grandparents around a lot? Like, was family, extended family close by, or was it more like you and your immediate family?
1: Yeah, totally. We had, I was lucky enough that I had both sets of grandparents living in the same town. So we spent a lot of time with them, probably even more on my mom's side because. I was the first and for a while the only grandkid on that side, whereas my dad 's side my dad was the youngest uh, of several kids, so I was actually the last grandson born. There were some granddaughters born after me, but uh, so like tons of grandkids before me on that side, okay. and kind of in some some of them around some in different cities. but we went out there and would <laughs> spend a lot of time. Those grandparents were older as well, so the grandparents on my mom 's side were younger, still really active. And, yeah, I was the only grandkid, so they were over a lot, hanging out a lot. Yeah. But my my grandparents on my dad's side were just incredibly loving. And, like I said, they were a little bit older. And there were other grandkids around. And, honestly, I'm trying to think... Most of the other grandkids lived out of town, so just being one that lived in town, oh, okay, was, you know, yeah, kind of an advantage. The <laughs> oldest cousin on that side was a little bit older than my dad, so he was like, he was not a kid anymore, like yeah. So like the competition among cousins, there wasn't, yeah. there still wasn't a lot, even though there were a lot of cousins, like they were they were you know out of the house and adults and stuff like that, yeah, so.
0: Okay, so what did, uh, what's a little bit of the like, family dynamic? So you were the first, how, how yeah. many siblings? So I've got,
1: one, I've got one sister, she's four years younger than me. Okay.
0: Yeah. And then what, what kinds of things did your folks do, like professionally or like how they spend their time? What did you see them doing? My mom was
1: mostly a stay-at-home mom. All, all my life growing up, so that was awesome. Just got to spend time with her, and my dad was a contractor, doing dirt work, so like building roads, paving, all kinds of stuff like that. Okay, yeah.
0: So, so private kind of work and um, work for city or county or like yeah, totally. State? Yeah, okay.
1: he would. Um, and kind of go all over the state doing jobs and stuff. So just, yeah, whoever. It could be a private individual. There was that kind of work. There was, This is West Texas, so there were, like, oil-filled work, um, you know, building the pads for oil pumps and stuff like that.
0: Okay. Yeah. How big a company? Like how Oh, many I bet
1: there? he generally probably had, like, a dozen or so employees. Okay. Yeah, and that probably fluctuated throughout the years, depending yeah. on how busy things were.
0: But that was already pretty well established by the time you show up or by you, by the time you can remember from my point
1: of view it was, but I think I learned later. I think he, he worked for the company and then bought it. Oh, okay. And, and I'm not entirely sure that he had purchased it before I was born, but before, by the age I was able to be conscious, conscious of all that. He, he was the owner. Yeah, he was the boss. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then um, your sister comes along, you said four years behind you, so that's even... Like, do you remember... You talked about earliest memories involving, like, a grandfather or that, that first vehicle. Um, do you have any memories of life before your sister shows up, or it's all Just with very her? very for-
1: vague snippets. Okay. Like, I can... I can remember just a few instances of like things that happened and my sister wasn't there. So I'm only, I'm only, it's possible she still could have been born, but a baby somewhere, you know? And so just very, very vague
0: recollections. When you look back, when you think about childhood or like early childhood, what, what do you, what did it feel like to you? Like, how did you spend your time? Who, who were you as yeah, a kid? It,
1: it was great. I had a great childhood and incredibly, you know, to use all the words we use now, very secure, very attached, very loved and cared for. And yeah, just, just a a very safe, good, nurturing childhood people around me.
0: Yeah. What kinds of things did you, did you spend your time doing? Like what, What did you like doing um, free time apart from school or in school? Like, who was little Shane?
1: Yeah, so, I, you know, when I was little, little, like very normal stuff, uh, blocks, I love blocks. I love, because of my dad's work, we had a lot of toy tractors and things like that, that kind of stuff.
0: Tonkas. Yes, yes,
1: exactly, yeah. And even from a young age, TV, huge Sesame Street guy, huge Mr. Rogers guy. Yeah. Loved it. Me too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that's pretty common in like early and mid eighties, maybe up to later. Like the things I remember, I remember Sesame Street from before
1: I went to school because I distinctly remember it came on twice a day. The same episode would come on twice a day. Uh So the idea was like, for the while kids were at school one came on yeah and then when they came back from school there was an episode on but you're also playing Not around both. with nap
0: schedules i guess too in those I'm first few sure. years yeah. i don't know you got you got parents need a second chance maybe <laughs> right. to get the to get the kid and and then um you, the, your house was it were you in like a more rural environment were you in a neighborhood did you have friends or neighbors it was in the city but we're talking
1: small time city here the big spring was like all through growing up big spring was like 18,000 people but had been probably about i don't know it in its past it had had like 10,000 more people okay. because it had there was an air force base there that had shut down like before, a couple okay. years before i was born maybe in the late 70s and so you kind of like it i i didn't have language for this then or understand this then but it was kind of a a depressed town Because you had all this infrastructure for a greater population that exists. So, and kind of in some typical ways, like the downtown was like, that was a ghost town. And like, you know, I wouldn't say dangerous, but like dilapidated and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, it was just this town that was like kind of a shadow of its former self, so to speak. So... It had other industries as well, but again, just it was like a town that was built for a bigger population than. Was Do
0: you there. think were you aware of that as a kid, or those are things you just realized? People would talk about the base when the base or, was there. Okay,
1: and so I kind of had it. I didn't know. The, I didn't understand the implications of that, but yeah. people would talk about when the base was there.
0: Okay, those are huge. Like, um, for like when that happens for an area, I know that can be really big. But you also have like literally a huge. Amount of square mileage of like concrete and stuff that like cities have to figure out what to do with. Was there just an abandoned Air Force base your so whole childhood? I had, I had or did friends it...
1: that lived on the base. And like, oh, okay. I, it didn't occur to me like years later, of like, oh, that was the old Air Force base. Like, this was Air Force housing. Okay. And it, and it totally makes sense because I think about it and like they were all very much the same. There's like the same shape. Yeah. And use the same bricks and all kinds of stuff like uh-huh. that. So. Yeah, so at least that got used for housing, okay. you know. Um, but and other than that, there are like, you can go see, I think the old airstrip has got, it's like a private airport now. Okay. And like that I was wondering
0: if it came into play in, in high school with like drag races at the airstrip or something. You'll hear those stories no, in some No, you would think so. I think, it, yeah, I think it got or... purchased up by someone. Okay. It wasn't just vacant, so yeah. I guess that's
1: better than not.
0: Okay. So once you once you get to be like school age and like what, memories or kind of your perspectives on what elementary school and, and then into middle school were like for you like what do you remember about the, that age once you're not at the house all the time or you're not with your mom all the time watching Sesame Street and Mister Rogers what did, who did you start to become or what, yeah. you, what were hobbies what did you want to do when you grew up like those kinds of things sure
1: i i uh riding bikes a lot very much like probably like a quintessential 80s childhood like riding bikes over to your friend's house yeah and maybe playing nintendo and there's a couple other kids that rode their bike over there or sometimes you ride your bike around for fun we had our neighborhood kind of backed up to some hills and so you could go and like ride like ride your bike in the the dirt hills and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, I remember loving that. My elementary school was kind of at the back of the neighborhood, also surrounded by the hills. And so it's like, there was like, I don't know, 10 streets in the neighborhood. And so basically the entire neighborhood goes to the school. And I remember I would ride my bike to school as an elementary kid. Like that was crazy. Uh, Like this seems crazy now. Like I definitely wouldn't let my kid ride their bikes to school my mom would come afterwards and make sure that my bike was there at school <laughs> okay you know probably good yeah because uh, you're not like
0: locking it up or anything you're just well revised. she was making sure i made it to school oh got it that like my bike was there or that I no one grabbed it, you right? yeah.
1: yeah exactly okay yeah, because it's also, like, the 80s and, like, you know. Yeah,
0: there's, like, satanic panic Exactly. Stuff, the satanic panic, in which then, like,
1: real, like, childhood abductions were, like, becoming prominent. And yeah. kids on milk cartons and stuff like that. Yeah. So, great childhood. Uh, and, like, you know, not, like, having friends in the neighborhood and going over their houses and sleepovers and getting a little older and TPing people's houses and stuff like yeah. that. Totally fun. Got a little bit into sports was never really that good but generally liked them and that was also kind of what that was like the only thing to do as a kid like if you wanted to have a social life as a kid you kind of had to play sports in a small town in the 80s 90s somehow fell into tennis and then I played that in through like my sophomore year of high school
0: okay yeah um for as like school teams all right cool I didn't know that um, was the last time you played tennis a long time ago your sophomore year <laughs> yeah. it's not quite okay. that bad yeah. i have played in austin once or twice okay
1: but and i i do love to play it it's yeah. just one you've got to find someone else to play you've got to find an open court and, yeah and at this point i've got to dig out my racket somewhere uh-huh. so it, it is fun it's just kind of a whole thing
0: yeah what was the point for you where you felt like you started to kind of maybe become your own person or um and and maybe you've like touched on that already with like this kind of idyllic 80s childhood and adolescence of like going over to other friends houses and like what were the ways i guess you were were maybe different from your family or started to kind of stake some of your own Hmm. ground if it doesn't happen till later or never happen that's fine too but well I mean, I think my parents,
1: for the most part, really let me be my own person. I mean, even with the sports thing, like, they would come to the games, they'd be encouraging, but just, they're not sports people. My dad was the only dad I knew that didn't watch football growing up, and... And so, but you know, they were just, they're happy to let me like, they kind of understood this is a normal part of childhood. Like they let me do that, sign up for all those things and do that sort of thing. And then, uh, I would say, I I don't know how I've made it this long without bringing up church, but that was like a a big part of our life Okay, and a part of our community, you know,
0: from the beginning, like that's already happening. By the time you show up, your yes, folks are yeah. in church. Okay.
1: Yeah, and I didn't know till later that I think my parents really didn't go to church before I was born. Okay, and and it was kind of like they both. Uh, my dad grew up in church. My mom did not, but felt that they were both they were both Christians. And kind of felt like it was important, but I think I suspect it was just like we're young and married and childless and just making it to church on Sunday morning. Isn't a huge priority kind of thing. I I kind of think. And then I think that when I was born, I think that was like, okay, we need to be be a part of a church now. So the church we went to was a church. My dad grew up in. Okay. And so my grandparents on his side went to that church as well. And yeah. So that was a big, a big part of our life. Always.
0: What kind of church is that?
1: Uh, it was a small Southern Baptist church. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I think it had been, I think it had been either a, a church plant of another church in town way back in the day, like in the 60s. Uh, but usually the, usually the truth in that is it was a church split usually. Right. So I don't know exactly what the case was. It was called College Baptist Church and it was right next door to the junior college. Okay. It, no college students went to our church. I don't know if like, that was the plan in the beginning, or I don't know what happened, but anyway. Huh. So, so not a
0: college ministry next door to the college? No. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be with the junior college, though. That's, I don't know. Where, a lot of times those are so commuter heavy. Yes. Like there's not a ton of people that they, are actually living on right. campus. Yeah, and or, I don't,
1: that's That'd be interesting to find out. Like, I don't know what they're what the stats were on that. I know yeah. they did have like dorms and stuff like that. They had like a they had sports, like they had a basketball team. Yeah. And uh actually a rodeo program okay. at this community college.
0: That's brand new to me. I've lived in Texas for <laughs> eighteen years and it has I didn't know there were rodeo. Yeah, teams and I don't know that could be the only school in the world or, that yeah. does that. I don't know. Oh I but. seriously doubt it. If you were if you I we mean you're in up, West in Texas, Texas. Yeah uh if if you're having that kind of thing going on in Big Spring it's in probably the 80s, somewhere else then i'm sure it's in Lubbock and Amarillo maybe yeah there you go yeah. um so so then for you is that is the faith component it's happening already like there's a sense in which that decision kind of gets made for you not like a personal decision but that like I go to this is where I'll be on Sunday. The first half of Sundays is with my family here. Yeah. Is is there a point with that where you start to kind of own it or become as personal for you? Or
1: yeah, for sure. It was when I I I graduated to the youth group at like 12 and we right then we got this new youth minister that came in from out of town and Uh, He was was a really gifted teacher and kind of took that seriously. Like, he wasn't the youth minister that's like, we're going to watch this video tonight kind of thing. Like, he would actually, like, take time, prepare lessons, stuff like that. So, and it also, I think also part of that was that was the first time, like, church really became more like fun in the best way. Like I'd always had like friends as a kid at church that we'd play with and stuff. And that was cool. They were kind of like B team friends. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like I wanted to be with the kids in my neighborhood or my school or whatever. And then at church, like I like those friends, but you know, I would rather have been my friends at school kind of thing. When I get to the youth group and it's like one, they're almost all older than me a couple of years or more. And it was just, there were cool people I wanted to be around all of a sudden, you know? So like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I think all that just kind of made me more engaged. And so, and then this youth, youth minister came and I just kind of like, you know, I was a little kid, so I don't know that I articulated this stuff much, but I just kind of had this vague notion of like me and God are buddies and God's there for me when I need him sort of thing. And so when I go to the youth group, I was just kind of engaged on a deeper level and kind of understood the love of God better, I think, and what relationship with God really means. And so I don't know if I felt like I was kind of engaged on a deeper level than kind of a cultural Christianity, you know, like we're all kind of good people doing our best, whatever, you know. Yeah. And you know, for whatever reason, we'll call it the Holy Spirit, really, like, kind of grabbed my heart. I guess,
0: yeah. Do you think you started talking about that some with uh, the idea of like what an active role your your youth minister played? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think those are tied together for you? Like, what was it? Was it their work, their attention to? To teaching or discipleship or whatever that that kind of goes alongside with that becoming a more formative I would say experience it was an overt reason, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. I think the other stuff with the relationship with the kids in the youth group, like I think that kind of made me want to be there more. But it was his his teaching that really kind of grabbed my
0: attention. Yeah. What does that What does that start to look like? Like, what is what does middle school or high school look like for you when you've got maybe a more active or or deeper faith that's developing like how does that integrate with school and family and and like other parts of life that that time period where like my understanding now psychologically you know is that like we're doing a lot of work as adolescents Some of the things you're like processing or trying to figure out who am I, who do I maybe want to be or what do I want to do? Like, how does faith play into that for you?
1: Yeah, I think um, this is a weird illustration, but like a few several years ago, I saw I saw um, Larry King have the cast of Growing Pains on his show. Okay, and, I missed that the yeah, whole all the of, whole cast. There was probably like I don't know, maybe Chrissy wasn't there or whatever, okay. you know. But yeah. like the the main cast, right? Yeah. And, and including Kirk Cameron. Yeah, they have him, then,
0: Did they have him sitting over to the side? I or think he, he was. Friends, I think he yeah, literally
1: yeah. was like on the opposite side of the table. But they were talking about this period of time uh, when they're filming Growing Pains, and Kirk Cameron becomes a Christian, and he started making like a lot of demands. And like I think I think there's like a famous story like. One of the actresses on the show who was like playing his girlfriend or whatever and also uh posed in playboy i think okay and he he like had her fired because of it
0: wow okay. and
1: so and there was like so i think there's like kind of a lot of stuff like that going on behind the scenes and and to his credit here on larry king he was like you know like i was discovering this faith and just like not really knowing how that was supposed to look and and, you know, kind of apologizing for kind of some of the things he had done at the time, you okay. know. And, and it was so interesting because the rest of the cast was so gracious and they were like, you know, when you're a teenager of any kind, like, everything's very black and white to yeah. you, you know. And, you, and you, look, you did things and you said things you look back and you were just like, oh, we would have done that differently, you know. I thought that was just so gracious of them to like to yeah. kind of take that
0: view, you know. Like, that's only, that's only partly related, potentially, to, like, becoming a born-again Christian. Exactly, the, right. Like, yeah. some of it is just, like, Everything what, teenagers what a teenager is, is big trying feelings to figure out. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, we were going through the same kinds of things or giving the same kinds of graces to Tracy Gold. Or what exactly, maybe, right. But, like, years look different because of... Yeah. No, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, that's stuff I think about a ton. There's so many, like, cringe moments for me from middle school or high school. Yeah. A lot of times related to faith where I would like stand up and say something at a sure see you at the poll rally yes. or like jump up at the front of the church because the because I, I thought the invitation should go on longer and I told the pastor like he like just I stood up at a school board meeting once and like made a like talk to the way that like tons of parents are making their kids talk now like going to a school board meeting oh, and, sure yeah, yeah and share something very political experience but like yes. I, yeah i wrote op-eds for the shreveport times <laughs> yeah. about euthanasia and abortion like <laughs> yeah, these yeah, things yeah. kind of get like thrust on some kinds of kids maybe well, well but it was yeah, the way at the i was, very
1: least you're certainly applauded for that right like oh yeah i was like I was you know. a rock star. Yeah. Of my, like, exactly.
0: Uh, but I realize now, like, that's the kind of thing that I think robbed me of oh, some, really? like, I, I, yeah. The, I want to hear from you, but, like, by the path, there's always a little bit of me interjecting here. But, like, my path feels like it was, like, set at, like, 13 or 14. And it was a yeah. path I stayed on until I was 34. But, like, there wasn't a lot of experimentation or play, or for uh, me, it was, oh, you can do this go do this for the rest and, of and life. And you feel like I, to
1: your, like, early mid-30s, you were still on that kind of pre, pre-prescribed... Yeah, yeah. for, for me at least. Tap. I didn't, I, yeah, didn't I didn't get
0: to experiment or play around at all with, like... I think most adolescents, like, their freshman year, they think they're going to be this, and then their sophomore year, they find out about this. So I'm going to do that instead. No, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a, a doctor. Right. No, I actually want to yeah. be a civil engineer. Like, I didn't... Yeah. It was laser focus for me. That was okay. That was, uh, I, I think maybe only partly. I don't know. There's no way to know, but like I, I wonder if it was only partly God. Sure. And it, yeah. and then it was like, oh, this feels pretty nice. Yeah. For everybody to pat me on the back, I'm right. gonna keep so. But 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 like, how does being a more active participant in a youth group? Um, yeah
1: well and going back to the Kirk Cameron story for me it wasn't there probably were times where you look back and I was just a jerk about my faith or whatever I don't think it made me so much a jerk but it made me kind of shrink into myself because I was I would not have put it this way and I may not mean this in the conventional way but in a lot of ways I was like I was embarrassed Embarrassed of my faith like I held it very strongly I was also very embarrassed about it so like things like in high school I thought Christians shouldn't cuss for instance or or no this is a better one I thought uh, well in maybe I still do but like thought I shouldn't drink as an underage Christian and in high school everyone's drinking all the time and so like yeah you know to avoid embarrassment of turning down an invitation to a party I would rather just not be close enough to someone to get that invitation to the party in the first place. Right. Okay. Like that maybe this is kind of like extreme example, but that's kind of the thing of like yeah. if I just don't take up much space and I'm just quiet enough, maybe I can skirt by without being seen as a weirdo, you know? Yeah. Like not have to explain to people that I actually don't drink or whatever. Like that sort of thing. Okay. So like that's the kind of way it manifested itself for me as a teenager. And and the thing is, looking back, it was like small-town Texas. There were plenty of other, like, Christian kids who weren't doing that stuff. But for some reason, like, I was just like, I didn't see that then. You know, like, I think yeah. I, I, I could have found my people a little bit more. And, and to some extent, especially towards, I can think of some, a group of friends I kind of met toward the end of high school that was they're kind of like that. Uh, but I, but I don't know, uh, teenage years were hard for me because of those things.
0: Was it... Bu- were you um trying to figure out a way to say this did it feel like you were two different people or w- w- like did you come alive more at church feel more open more free I can be totally myself here or were you having some of the same types of like shyness or quietness or
1: like no I definitely it, felt like I could be more myself at church and okay. that and that would because that would get rewarded at church right yeah. like you wouldn't be seen as a weirdo for those things okay
0: that's gotta be like that's gotta be a weird thing to navigate as a i mean i I guess some of it is is inherent to being a teenager at all we always kind of feel in that period kind of like we're alone or like nobody gets us or but you're you're actually like acting kind of two different ways in two different contexts um did that ever get hard? What, or was it just like, it was the way things were and you didn't I mean, realize it till later on? I,
1: the mostly, mostly the feelings I have about that time was that it just wasn't fun. Like, I was never just having a good time. You okay. know what I mean? And, you know, there are exceptions to that. Like, there are you know, a few good friends that I had. And, um, you know, I dated uh, some in junior high and high school. And so I don't I don't want to make it sound like it was just the worst ever. It was never a good time. But school, 8 hours a day, 40 hours a week. That's a long time. Like that's a lot of your yeah. life to kind of just be hanging in there. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Did and did it ever feel like you had comrades? <laughs> like were there even one person who went to your church, too, or that you were close enough to feel like you could could kind of be yourself with or, or roll your eyes with them?
1: Um, yeah, there or- were some, sometimes. I had, so I started dating a girl at church, like, in the eighth grade, and we dated, like, I think, I think, like, until I was a sophomore in high school, which, you know, like, three years when you're that age is eternity to be dating someone. You know what I mean? So, and, and I think we were on the same page spiritually. And so like that helped it also, but looking back, it was also, I think that made it difficult as well because I don't like, I'm not sure that that level of intimacy between a between 14 year olds is good at that age. Yeah. And I don't mean sexual intimacy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know. Like, yeah, I don't know that that was especially healthy. Right. Looking back. But so, so that was its own dynamic. And then like I did, I would have friends that were close who even would we would go to church together and they would kind of get the church thing but they weren't all in like I was so it was kind of like I love you and I want to share this like you know kind of our friendship with Christ the center but also if you get invited to a party you're definitely going to go and drink and maybe drugs or something you know what Mm. I mean yeah so it was always like that was always kind of painful like having friends that you felt like you're close with but like they could drop all this at a moment's notice yeah kind of thing yeah so so there were some friendships like that that were good but precarious and then I did fall in with a, a kind of fun group of people my senior year that were a little they were more kind of just the good kids that didn't want to get in trouble and knew that they wanted to go to college, so they needed to kind of act a certain way kind of thing. And that was good, you know? Like, they were they were friends, and they were good. They were good as in, like, they were good to me. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It always, it always felt precarious. And I would say even, like, through my... Junior and senior years of high school, I was like, I knew I was going to go to a Christian college and I was like, I just need to bide my time and just get there and things are going to be different then.
0: So how does that decision get made? Uh, Something you decide on your own in high school, something you feel is important for you? Is it a family expectation? How do you know that you're going to go to a Christian college? So
1: at some point in there, and I'm so old now that I can't remember timelines, (laughs) but probably early on in high school... I, uh, thought, thought God wanted me to go into ministry. And so, you know, that whole thing is like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to think about it now because I don't feel like I was given a very, and you'll understand this, but just given a very good understanding of calling and vocation and, You know, it was just kind of like, you're just gonna, you get this beam of light from God and that's going to be the way it is for the rest of your life Yeah. as far as your calling. At the same time, I'm sitting here with you at 41 and most of my life, I've, including right now, I've been in part, I've been active in helping lead some kind of ministry, right? Right. So I can't fully be like, well, that was stupid of me to think I was called to ministry.
0: No, I, I understand I, I I think in the last decade or so, you and I have our paths have di- diverged a, a little bit. I think we're still able yeah. to talk through a lot of what these foundational things are, a lot of the questions we even have for ourselves in the present. but you have um, either figured out a way or have been graced you know with a way, with a path to to remain and and like professional. Vocational ministry, at least part time. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think that's that's fine. Part of that,
1: (laughs) yeah, it is. It is fine. I'm not about to throw the microphone. I think that part of it is just like it's so rigid. Like it, that's going to look like one thing. And you know, at the time, I thought uh, because of the transformational time I'd had with my youth group, I thought I'm going to be a youth minister. I could see myself being a youth minister, but not a pastor. Yeah. And so that looks like going to college, going to seminary, and then getting a job at a church and working there for the rest of my life, you know? Yep. And, and so that's, that has never, that has not come to fruition once for me. Uh,
0: like part, parts of what that narrative was, you were telling yourself well, all of like, that. That's well, not for not the path, one, but... like
1: I mean, just the biggest things, like I've never had a full time ministry job. You know? uh-huh. Even at forty one, there's not one point in there where I had a full time ministry where job it was all like, you, it was you were like, doing, yeah. by vocational or unpaid yeah. or what have you, you know so it just looks very different so uh, where did, how did i get to all this so well, i was i was oh, wondering how you and, how, why christian college yeah, it's because yeah, yeah. you
0: were feeling this this pull or to, to totally yep. and
1: i totally didn't understand that, like just because i wanted to or maybe especially because i wanted to go to seminary i didn't have to go to a christian college yeah i didn't have to study christian studies in undergrad i didn't have to do any of that you know um, but I think even if I had known that it wouldn't have mattered because I thought if I can get to a Christian college, that'll be a safe space for me. Right. That'll be like going to church all day long. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'll just get the pats on the back all day long sort of thing.
0: Oh man. I, I completely understand. And I don't, I don't think that'd be a surprise to you as someone who won't, you know, my story matches up to a lot of what you're saying so far. Um, including feeling like I needed to go to a Christian college. And I remember thinking or even hearing from, from people, maybe it was like, a, I don't know if it was an official marketing ploy from the university I wound up at, but I remember someone saying like, it's like youth group all the time, like a Christian right. college. Like, yeah. Um, which sounds, amazing which is amazing if, if you've you love loved youth group. Yeah. And so like, um, here's what I, here's what I wish would have happened. Here's what I hope is happening to young women and men in churches or in faith traditions that, part of them trying to figure out who they are what they want to do or what following God looks like when they're in middle school or early high school I wish I had a coach I wish I had a mentor yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. someone like discipleship like someone if maybe a, a minister or a pastor or but maybe not maybe a Sunday school teacher sure. or so, someone someone, or someone say like down? hey this is this is interesting Like, um, like first of all like this is this is wonderful that you've got this sense or this or you're kind of testing this or questioning this. Yeah. That that's the kind of language we're going to use for the next few years. He, right. I think sure. Catholics and higher church traditions do a really good job with this. Yeah. You'll hear uh, how Martin Scorsese was about to go to seminary. thought he was supposed to be a priest. You know, at some point late in high school, early in college, it's like, eh, maybe this, you know, or. or uh, writers or musicians or social workers or Mr. like rogers yeah oh yeah yeah like yeah. these these people who had people asking good questions of them yeah and saying like hey if you're gonna stay on this path for the next five to ten years i'm gonna be here with you and like we can right. talk about it together and talk about school and but like it's also okay shane if or sam if next year you decide you want to be a a writer uh yeah. i i i really think if i had a presence like that in my life i think it's probably 50 yeah. 50 on if i'd been a pastor versus mm. been like a counselor mm. or a social worker or so, um but no at least in my like small town but big southern baptist church tradition those were the, the preacher boys yeah. was what my yeah. pastor called them obviously not preacher kids, preacher boys. It had yeah. to be a boy. Yeah, yeah, um, of course. But these are my, I think there was this great pride from youth ministers and pastors and like, here's my, here, these are the preacher boys sitting on the front row or like the ones who... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I just... I, I, it's how we wind up maybe having some of these kinds of questions or curiosities later in life because uh, maybe we didn't get to play around quite as much yeah, or, or have someone sure. just say, "Well, let's just slow down a little bit. Yeah. Or like, let's. Right. Like, why don't you be in have something like an apprenticeship yeah. or an internship right. or something? And maybe no one. Our uh, you don't know as well as I. I know you came on maybe kind of those last few years, but like our our mutual friend or." Don, um, at this point has a, I think his perspective is like, no one should be allowed to become a pastor till they're 30. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of, let's at least say 26 when we know that like your brain is finally fully developed, (laughs) whatever that last part is. Your amygdala is is fully
1: formed. Yeah.
0: But, uh, so then how do you make the decision if you know you've got to go somewhere, how do you wind up at the college you, you did?
1: Uh, so my, the summer before my senior in high school, my mom took me around to a couple of colleges And uh, I think probably the first one was Howard Payne. And I, there was someone from my church who we knew who was, oh, he's probably like, he's probably like eight years older than me. And so he had gone to Howard Payne. And so, and we had always liked him. He seemed like a cool guy. So we went to Howard Payne. Everybody's friendly, welcoming. That was basically all I needed or knew to okay. look for.
0: And is it the closest to you of the options, no, or so none of that no, kind of thing plays? No, it in. wasn't.
1: No, I mean, I mean we're still only talking like a three-hour drive from my hometown. But we—I remember I had looked at like I went through to like a preview weekend. They were all Baptist schools, small liberal arts Baptist schools. And I went to a preview weekend at one school. We, that summer, my mom and I visited another one. And, you know, for whatever reason, Howard Payne stuck out as the one. Yeah. So, so that's how that decision got made.
0: Um, okay. What is the, what's that experience like for you? Um, in what ways was it exactly what you thought it would be versus what things surprised you? Um, <laughs>
1: It was... So it was what I thought it was going to be, and, like, it was much more of, like, a safe space. And I don't even know if I think that's a good thing anymore. Maybe it probably was, because it just felt like I could let my guard down and be a little bit more myself. Uh, There... There will always be... Well, at least in my college, like, there's still a... There's still a contingent of people who are, like... They're not there for the same reasons you are, for whatever reason. And so, like, they're still going to go, like, drink and do drugs or whatever, you know, underage or whatever. So, like, so I don't know if that was a surprise to me, but it wasn't – I definitely didn't, like, think it was going – I didn't – and when I was imagining how great college was going to be, I didn't think about that kind of stuff. And there's also – there's also a dynamic – of you're coming in as like the rock star of your youth group, and so are a thousand other yeah. people <laughs> yeah, and so like there can be like this kind of like performative thing where like i've got to out Jesus you yeah. sort of thing, which is so obnoxious, and thankfully, like I was never that guy, and thankfully i was I was a guy like nauseated by the other okay, people you trying you didn't to, play to, that game that. or play now, that game for a long I wasn't really yeah. into that now, um. But, yeah, so overall, it was a a good experience. It, you know, there's some ways that I feel like I wish Christian College would have done a better job of discipling me and preparing me for life and those sort of things. But overall, I I can't complain. I have some friends that I went to college with who really wish that it had prepared them better academically and well maybe not academically is not the best word maybe professionally but I think what they're looking for is things that it's not it's not really fair to expect of them for instance like if you went to say Texas A&M you were a part of an incredibly tight and vast network of professionals for instance if you go to A&M and say you want to be an attorney like you can go to your professor at A&M and they can hook you up with an amazing badass attorney in your town or whatever and make that connection for you. You know what I mean? And so like those things really just didn't, that kind of thing didn't, that was an advantage we did not have at Howard Payne University. Yeah. So that Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff.
0: Okay. What what did you study?
1: So I went in studying Christian studies because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. And, it, you know, at some point I realized or somebody told me, if you're going to seminary, you really don't need a Christian studies degree. And so I was like, okay. And then my thought then was like, I am going to seminary. So it'd be cool if if I'm going to, instead of having a redundant education, like let's get a background in something else while we're here and then go on to seminary. And so... I had, I I think I did like political science for a hot minute, and then went to communications, okay. which is what I graduated with.
0: Yeah. So, what uh, apart from studies for you, what does college look like? Um, friendships, relationships, uh, there, church life there. Like, what are the um, when you look back on, on that time? What's kind of foundational that, that happens to you there? So I'd say I kind of look back at it as like there was my freshman
1: year and then there was the rest of it. Like my freshman year, I met this girl and like monopolized way too much of my time with this person. And then kind of had a fresh start my sophomore year and started hanging out with more of the people that I would hang out with for the rest of my college time. So and they're generally those are take take or leave a few people or the people that I still keep in touch with so it was it was good good friends uh you know felt loved and cared for and so friend wise was mostly good your normal drama here and there but mostly a good time and you know church wise it's weird looking back like I never really I went to a few different churches while I was there and kind of showed up and but never really felt like there was ever a real church home and and in defense of those churches I think I was just having a good time hanging out with my friends so I wasn't necessarily looking for that and probably wasn't yeah. all in you know uh, but I also the Baptist student ministry at my school my the director of that ministry we became tight and I learned and grew just kind of being a part of that group there that was probably more church than church was then as far as like being formative and yeah discipleship and that sort of thing that was really helpful and what else you talk about Orange church
0: um your friends, you talked about many of whom you're, you're still close with, uh, are they studying religion as well or they're studying all kinds of things? No,
1: no, they're mostly, yeah. I had did it feel like you few... were ever
0: part of a, like a, a clique of the yeah, Christian studies? Yeah, for sure. Okay.
1: Uh, not, not in part of the Christian studies department. No, okay. I, for whatever reason, no, most of my friends were not, they were social work and business and all kinds of other stuff. So, okay, yeah, so it was kind of a different group of people
0: so you maybe get to do a little bit am I right to assume there's a little bit more of that like integration that you that you didn't have always in high school of like uh, we Being can who all, talk, I, am all I am who I am, yeah, we can totally. all talk about anything we're studying or working through, but we're also people of faith, uh, yeah, very yeah. much, yeah, okay.
1: definitely, yeah, and that was great to kind of just feel like I could relax a little bit and. And be who I was, so that was the very good part of college i I really loved college, and I love the university life and all that came with it so it was it was a good time
0: so as you're um, closing that out what 's the plan or what 's the next step? kind of where do you well Where do you think you're going to move from then and and what do you move to then
1: so the seminary plan stayed throughout. Again, I, this, I still, when I came in, thought I was going to be a youth minister. I My senior year, I got a job being a youth minister for this, like, kind of rural town about 45 minutes away from campus. And not a bad experience at all, but I knew at the end of that I did not want to be a youth minister. <laughs> that was not for me. Yeah. So... Somehow I pivoted and thought church planting sounded really awesome, and so I thought, yeah, I think I'll probably go do that. So finished college, and I took a year off to do some missions work in Buffalo, New York, um, which was college ministry
0: for for a year. You said yeah. That's in so that's in between college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and after
1: where, college and before seminary. How would
0: you wind up in, in Buffalo? I mean, was that an SBC thing,
1: or it, you it, out it, of it? It was. At that point? Yeah, or? it was supposed so to be like North American Mission Board stuff for yeah. the inside baseball people. Okay. went there, did college ministry for a year. That was cool, helpful. It was actually the the director of the Baptist Student Ministry who said there are these type of opportunities, and like I really think you'd be good at college ministry, and and uh, again that tracked because I was like i love being in college ministry so yeah. you know that sounds good uh so went and did that first semester and and you know had a good time and didn't really it was all it was all good uh didn't really feel like i wanted to be do college ministry for the rest of my life uh, but kind of kept it open i wasn't necessarily against it you know, think about college ministries like there's very few like quote-unquote, college ministry jobs and careers, you know? Yeah. Like, like tons of churches have youth ministers. Very few have college ministers. Right. So um, I think that was probably in the back of my head, too. It's not as prevalent a lot of times. There's really a huge market for this job, Yeah, you know?
0: So uh, how do you wind up back in uh, Texas or the South?
1: My plan was after... Yeah, so after... The after Buffalo, I started attending New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and I was there for like six weeks before Hurricane Katrina hit.
0: Oh yeah. So yeah, I remember. This.
1: So that's just yeah, it's kind of a very weird footnote in my in my life. So uh,
0: there are only so many people who lived in New Orleans. Yeah when that happened. Yeah, yeah. so it's Well, it and generally,
1: a- I feel like I'm a very fortunate, lucky person in life. Like, but I chose like that exact semester to go and, you know, move in and make these plans and I thought I thought I mean, it's really fascinating, well, it's fascinating to me. Uh, I really thought I'm going to be here for 3 years getting my MDiv and then move on to the next place. Uh, But, you know, in three years, like, you meet new people, you forge new relationships, you date, you do all these things. And so what I thought was going to be three years turned out to be six weeks. Yeah. Uh, Because Katrina hit, and long story short, they closed the campus for the rest of the semester because it was just, you know, torn up. It was flooded. And, you know. Hurricane Katrina happened,
0: so it was it was in an area that was directly impacted. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: yeah, for sure. I had lived, I lived in the second floor. My my dorm was on the second floor. Well, it was like a, on campus apartments. It was on the second floor in every. It got up to like my door basically. So like the complete first floor was like underwater at some okay. point. So, so they closed campus that semester. They said, "Hey, everything is." Is it wasn't online back then, it would have been correspondence, everything is correspondence, yeah, uh, for the rest of the semester. And so, I kind of half heartedly finished my classes for the rest of that semester. From I guess, a step back, I'm just deciding what I wanted to do. I totally could have gone and lived with my parents, but you know, I was a big, mature. 22 year old and didn't want to go live with my parents. So I had friends that were still back living in Brownwood where Howard Payne was who had, they had rented a house and said, Hey, can I come sleep on your floor? And there were a bunch of dudes who are like, okay, you know, you want to split up the rent with us? Fine. Yeah. So I did that. And then uh, finished those classes that semester. But in the meantime, started hanging out with some of my friends there. And one of my friends and I started hanging out more he was, in, he was wanting to go to ministry, wanting to go to seminary. And we kind of hatched this great idea to someday plant a church together. Shortly after that, the people, the guys that I were living with, the house we were living in was a parsonage, a, you know, a, for people who don't speak that language, a house that a church owned. Yeah. And that was designed for the pastor to live in. Right. And these guys had somehow fallen in with this church that had, Had shrunk down to a few people and one of my friends was pastoring it they were ready to move on and we're like i think we're going to close down this church and so very long story short we kind of hatched this idea like what if we planted what if we plant our church now and what if we planted it in this building that's about to be vacant okay and that all somehow that all came into fruition we're like 23 24 years old at this point and and we we did it uh my my friend and i started commuting to seminary at this point going to truett seminary in waco okay at baylor he recruited someone else that we'd gone to undergrad with who was finishing at baylor who i would date and would become my wife He recruited her to come back and help start this church with us. And so we did that. I started working at Starbucks. So I was working at Starbucks. We were planning this church, commuting to seminary.
0: How long a commute is that?
1: Uh, I think it was about an hour. Okay. Maybe a little bit more. I think it was a little over an hour.
0: From Brownwood to Waco?
1: Yeah. Okay. And I think we were going two days a week. It may have been three. Okay. 3 or 2 days a week. I can't remember. Anyway.
0: And Kate is in in Waco still or does she Yeah, she was move so at some she point?
1: so let me think. She was ahead of me one year in school. So my senior year at Harpeth was her first year in seminary. Okay. And then I went to uh, I went to Buffalo and that would have been her second year. Okay. And then she she was like finishing up that last year would have been her last year for her so she finished up and then came and helped us plant the church
0: the the year you're starting at Truett is her last year
1: no Something I think like that, that okay. she I don't remember okay. how it worked out but she had finished before we okay. got there got it I can't, so, so yeah, she's not having extra, to do the an commute extra year somewhere <laughs> but yeah <laughs> that she happens. finished up at Waco and then moved to Brownwood to help us start this church okay
0: so it's only you and your buddy that are commuting that's right
1: there she's done already okay Yeah. yeah
0: okay What does what's that season like, where you're starting a church, something you haven't done before, really kind of in earnest, starting seminary, and then I don't know, you're like, what's the timeline where you and Kate start dating? Like, yeah, all those things happening together. Fuzzy on
1: all those things too. I don't know exactly what happened when, but yes, the commuting, the church plant, the dating was all happening simultaneously okay yeah
0: so um what did that what do you think about that season now what is it t- almost 20 years later
1: uh, like what what yeah. is
0: that i mean how long does it, it last um what yeah. what are
1: it's so difficult because obviously beautiful things came from it and it was all uh, it was there were a lot of difficulties at the same time, and there were like a lot of and it's all an unforced error. Like, oh my gosh! Like, what were we thinking? Like twenty two, twenty three year olds who, you know, had like no or very little pastoral training, planting a church, and and just making every mistake possible. And there my friend Chris and I who we started the church with, we had set it up where we were like co-pastors together. I've come it's that is really funny to me now because I'm also a co-pastor now with someone and I've come like 360 on that because yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a good experience. I think that our when we planted that church, like our egos were too big. The reason we were co pastors is because none of us wanted to be number two. Either of us, neither of us wanted to be number two. And and it didn't go well. Um, Chris and I are still friends now. Uh, you know, I, I love him. I think he's great. We don't get to interact a whole lot, uh, but I think that was really hard relationally for those reasons because I think we were dudes in our early 20s with egos and it was egos and also thinking if the buck stops with me I'm responsible for the best decision being made meaning like it's gonna be my fault if this goes bad so I need to make sure the best decision is made and When we don't agree on what the best decision is, then we're butting heads because it feels like a lot's at stake. Right. So, so that was, it was just difficult. And it was just completely draining trying to do all of that at the same time. Yeah. The part-time job, the church plant, the commuting, all of it. And I am not a type A person. Like there is someone who can do that. And I am, I'm it's not like it's hard for anyone. And I'm the last person who should have been doing that. Right. That's not my skill set is juggling 50 things that are important.
0: So you know that about yourself now. or can look back on that time. How, how do you think you how do you think you wound up there? This is what's really interesting to me about looking back on our stories or like life. Um, what are the things in play culturally or in your religious tradition or in your, your own psyche or like um, that that got you into a spot that you can say now, like, I never should have been in that spot. Yeah. I think it was,
1: it was part of it was kind of ego and a certain kind of ego. Like I wanted to, some of it is wanting to be seen as a certain kind of person And there's a more innocent side to that is like, I really wanted to be that person. Like a person who at 23 plants a church and pastors people and loves people. Well, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to, I wanted, yeah, there was a part of that that wasn't me wanting to be seen as that person, but I I generally wanted to be that person. You know what I mean? That's
0: what faithfulness looked like to you. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. So I think that was part of it. And I never slowed down and thought, Yeah, but the day to day is awful. Yeah. (laughs) Like the day to day is not going great. Like you're never happy. Like you're always thinking, I got to grind it out today so that something better will happen tomorrow. And like that tomorrow just never comes.
0: It's just grinding it out day after day. Hey there, it's Sam again. I'm pulling away just for a second from today's story. Don't worry, we'll get back there in a minute. Uh, Seemed like a good time to remind you that you can have this kind of experience with me too you owe it to yourself, or to family or or friends to take a couple of hours and chronicle your life story in your voice. Then you can choose whether you wanna keep it for yourself or have it published like this one. Just go to oakroots.net to see services available and what fees look like. Or you can email me at sam at oakroots.net. Okay, let's get back to the talk. So growing up in, in
1: free church, denominations or cultures is unique in that regard because there's tons of denominations where like if you don't have a seminary degree then you can't just plant one of their churches you know and so like we saw this as a very like laudable thing of like no we believe that God qualifies the called instead of priesthood of all believers and we're going to
0: figure this out yeah
1: yeah and so like they're just again it sounds good when you say it like this like there's just no there are very few roadblocks to planting a church and like some roadblocks are good you know like some hoops to jump through are really good
0: at least speed bumps yeah exactly (laughs) right slow you down
1: if not full-on roadblocks speed bumps at least yeah so yeah, I don't know where to go from how there. Qu- how
0: quickly did you figure that out, or how quickly did the, the cracks start to show, well, or, or it was, didn't feel sustainable? I don't know
1: at what point I realized I'm not having a good time, but I feel like even after whenever that was, after I did, I still felt like, okay, well, we started this thing now, so we kind of have a kind of a duty to these people that we've assembled, you know. And it was—it's funny—the second semester of us commuting to Truitt. I'm realizing I, I can't do, I can't do this. And I think I'm going to quit seminary and just give a little more time to the church. And what I didn't know simultaneously is my co-pastor was also realizing I can't do this at the same time. And his, for him, the answer was quitting church and, and doing seminary full time. And so I think that helped a little bit because the conflict wasn't there anymore between he and I, and there wasn't, it wasn't just conflict between he and I, there was conflict between other, other, other staff in all directions. And, and I,
0: Kate's a part of this too.
1: And Kate's a part of this so, too. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I think her official role was like a small groups pastor or okay, something like yeah. that and then we had uh, one of our good friends was doing music too. So so that it, the the good thing is that that was a help because a lot of conflict was gone. I think the bad thing was I don't know if I learned anything. <laughs> like yeah. you know what I mean? I like it's only looking back knowing that there was a lot of a lot of ego involved there, hmm. um, all around, including my own. being the church, which was was hard, difficult. What were those jobs? So my first real job, my first jobby job, was being a, a caseworker for adult protective services. Okay. So department of family and protective services. Yeah. Uh, it was a hard job. Probably not. In the way that people think, like you you would see some hard things like, you know, neglect of older people and stuff like that, rarely, but sometimes abuse. But, and, and just, uh, it's just kind of a, like, thankless job, it's certainly not fun. And it was kind of a bad experience just being my first real job, because just thinking, like, this is what it is to be an adult and to have a job and kind of hate going in every day and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was, you know, my meager salary felt like a million dollars at the time. Cause it was the first time I had like full-time pay. Right. You know what I mean? And benefits. And some yeah, time yeah. Point. And yeah. benefits <laughs> and, and all of that. And at the same time, Kate, about the same time, Kate got a job being the director of the Baptist student ministry at Howard Payne, yeah. like the ministry that we had kind of been transformational for us in college. And stuff, and so, you know, I I think the biggest thing to say about that is like a lot of beautiful things happened. It was really hard, and at the it, by the end of it, a lot of things had happened. After a couple of years, we had kind of, uh, I had switched jobs, doing some nonprofit work, and we were kind of like, especially in those chosen fields, at least like. There was absolutely nowhere else to go in in Brownwood, in that town, up. Like, there was no, no other place to go up after that. Yeah. And we're in our mid-20s, and we're kind of feeling like... I was kind of feeling like the church had grown as much as it could grow under my leadership. And so kind of feeling a release and a kind of closure there. And so we... I resigned there. And about six months later, we moved here to Austin.
0: Okay. And how long have you been in Austin at this point? So we moved like January,
1: 2011. So whatever that math okay. is, I guess it'll be 12, 13 years in years. January. Okay. Yeah.
0: And, uh, what his life in, in Austin looked like. We I mean, can kind of go chronologically at, at that point. What, where did, where did you find yourself? Uh, why Austin? I don't know. Like, how do you get here? And what is what does life look like when you do?
1: Yeah. I mean, another series of, like, kind of cockamamie schemes and plans. But we, you know, again, we just felt like, I guess the impetus was we've got to, I think we're ready to leave this small town. So then where do we go? And we had looked at some places in different parts of the country. We could go anywhere. We didn't have kids. That was kind of exciting and but one of them one of them was Austin and we had we both had our all of our families were here in Texas so that was kind of how we landed it felt a little bit safer too I mean we were looking at places like New York City and Portland and and places that you know maybe we could have made it it just seemed a little more risky for whatever reason Austin seemed like a more a safer place and you know
0: so, well, Austin's Austin is the Texas version of those places. Of those places, right? yeah, you're right. So I, I, I get it. You're right. How, how did you know you'd even be comfortable? Um, I mean, Austin's really different than the rest of the state. Was that kind of yeah. thing important to you at this point? I don't know about your your politics or your theology or like what has anything changed in you that makes it where like Austin's not necessarily the safe space. In that, that your youth group was in uh, Big sure. Spring yeah, or that a Christian funny. college was and That's funny.
1: Yeah. Uh, I that's a good question. I don't know where that came from because I was born and raised in a small town, went to college in a small town. So like, I mean, really like moving to Buffalo was like my first time living in a a bigger city. And but I but I loved it. And we when we lived in Brownwood, like every chance we could to get away, we would come to a bigger city. Often it was Austin. And we just loved it. We just loved what it had to offer. Even, you know, small things like coffee shops and okay, yeah. stuff like that, you know. <laughs> An Alamo draft house, stuff like that. We just loved. And I think we knew that like we weren't the kind of people that like big cities are soulless you know havens of Satanism like we knew enough to know that wasn't the case and we knew that we could find our people in a big city you know so yeah so that's kind of how we wound up in Austin and also at the same time we're like we're quitting our jobs anyway we're starting over we could do anything what do we want to do And so that's kind of how I got into real estate because I'd always had an interest in it. And I was tired of having jobs where when you had orientation, they would say, we all know you got in, none of us got into this to be rich. Like I was always like, how I like no, I didn't get into it to be rich, but like let's keep the option open, you know? Yeah. Like it's just doesn't bode well if this is your intro to this career, right. you know what I mean? No, like, what
0: that that's like code language that really means like you'll be sleeping on couches exactly. and or like right. penniless and raising fun, like fundraising or <laughs> yeah being overworked and underpaid exactly and not right. appreciate that's that's but, exactly what
1: yeah. it is i'm really not i'm not obsessed with money and don't really want to or need to be rich but yeah it was just always like it's just it's a weird way to start off um yeah so so that's how real estate came about and then kate still wanted to do ministry she has her masters and would like to use it and so we moved here with a certain amount of savings in our bank account and no jobs. And we had a pretty first, pretty rough first year that year. <coughs> uh, you know, real estate's all commission. So, like, I think I had one transaction that year. Uh, so, I think I made all of, like, $4,000 that year. Okay. And Kate had a really rough time finding a job. It's 2011 at that point. We're still kind of, like... People forget, like we're still like slowly getting out of the economic downturn yeah. of 2008. The 08 yeah, that, yeah, like it was that was a real slow pull out of that. And you know, in downturns, like churches are not the first place to start hiring people, right? And and the real estate market
0: and the real estate market, impacted. yeah, exactly, right. yeah. yeah. So
1: it's like slowly coming out of this malaise and. So you know it was a, it was a hard first year. Uh, it, thankfully, we had been wise enough to build up a decent savings before moving here, and I think I did. I think I did real estate for like nine months, and just like the stress of no money was killing me. So I went and got a job delivering pizza for Austin's Pizza at that point. Yeah. So this is like before Uber or right. Favor, any of those things. People would, people the would best call. You can go.
0: One specific pizza place. (laughs) That's right. And order their pizza and you bring it to them. Yeah. That's right. And you worked for the pizza place. You worked for the
1: pizza place. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny for that to be antiquated now. Uh, Yeah. So I did that for a good long time. And then the second year of real estate got better. Not awesome, but better. And enough that, like, after a while, I could quit the pizza delivering gig. And Kate got various like strung together various uh part-time jobs or like commission related jobs, nonprofits, stuff like that. And then eventually she got interested in chaplaincy. In seminary, she had taken like one CPE class, clinical pastoral education class where they went to a hospital and like I basically did chaplaincy work. And that had always stuck out to her, that she really enjoyed that. And so we found that the, one of the hospitals here had a program for chaplains where they have a residency for a year. Maybe Was it just a year? I think it was just a year. And they would, like, it was, like, during the mornings, I think, they were chaplains at the hospital. In the afternoons, they had class class with yeah. each other, you know. And, and there was a stipend and it was like $23,000 and we were like, that's amazing. Let's, yeah. I, I can't remember if it was exactly that, but it was like uh-huh. for something very meager that to us looked amazing. We we're like, yes. right. Stipend insurance. Amazing. Absolutely. So, and it genuinely was like, okay, I think we can breathe now. Like we're not well off, but I don't think we're gonna have to worry very okay. much right now.
0: And by this point, two or three years in your real estate business, is this is about year getting two. a little more.
1: Yeah, this is about year two, okay. and we're to, you know one and a half, and yeah, so it's yeah from both things are easing from both sides, and then uh, about that time, Kate got pregnant, and the real estate market at that point, I knew enough at that point to know the real estate market in Austin was just going to keep going up. And it wasn't like we're in a great place to buy a house at that point, but I just thought I knew enough to know, yes, it's going to be hard to buy a house right now. It's going to be harder in a year and harder than that the year after that. So like, if we can just get in it, even if it's not awesome, even if it's rough, like we could at least, build equity and start, you know, that whole thing. And so, yeah, we, we made that work. We bought a duplex on the east side in St. John's and it was a, it was a foreclosure. There were, there are very few foreclosures these days, but back then, yeah, there were a lot still, there were a lot back then. And it was rough the day that we closed. We went in there, my parents came, and they saw it and they saw the cabinets and they're like, Hey, can we buy you new um, cabinets? Oh, wow. And we we're like, yes, you can. Like, we we're not too yeah, so proud. Yes, you can. <laughs> they were like rat infested. they were disgusting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So we moved into that place and like, it was like two weeks later, our daughter was born. Margo was born. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I'll stop there, but yeah, I covered a lot of ground there
0: it's that, that it's that first year but I think maybe later in it where we meet uh, um, and wasn't and so, very,
1: yeah. it wasn't uh, very pretty early on where you enter into the story actually because yeah. we had uh, I, don't, I may have told you this but we had visited uh, some of our friends from Brownwood moved here about six months before we did and we visited them and I don't know how but somehow I'd heard about Mosaic because I had gotten interested in emergent church stuff yeah and so, I had heard about Mosaic. We came here to visit our friends again. They had moved before us, and it was Sunday night. And it was like, we should go to this church called Mosaic. And so, I remember we visited that time. And, um, and I'm pretty sure you preached that night. Oh, okay. But we were, we, all, each were other. we already on airport, or were we You're at First airport. Baptist? Yeah, oh, we're okay. in airport. Okay, so. We didn't meet then, but when we moved here, uh, we visited a few places, but not many. We came back to Mosaic, and like pretty soon, Kate before me was like, "Let's just let's go to Mosaic. This is it. Let's go." And I'm like, "Well, we do, like we just got here. We haven't visited many places." Yeah. She's like, "No, nah, let's just go to Mosaic." So I was like, "All right," um, and so yeah, it wasn't. It had. It was still probably like spring of 2011 that you and I met okay. and kind yeah. of yeah got to know each other a little bit.
0: Okay. Yeah. What's the point in your story where the podcasting begins or like, how does that, (laughs) because I I feel like it's it's within those first few years in Austin. Yeah. I guess
1: I should explain if it's not too boring, like how I was feeling about ministry and that kind of stuff. I really, when we left Brownwood, I just thought like, I'm done with vocational ministry. I want to go and find a church and, and, you know, volunteer and like be a part of it and it'd be our community but i don't want i don't need part of like staff or anything like that like by help i mean like mop the floor literally if that's what is needed you know like i just want to be a part and contribute right and so so we did that and i think the combination of uh moving here and real estate not going well made me think about the parts of ministry that I'd originally been attracted to and the stuff that went well in ministry and kind of missed that part of it. Mm -hmm. And so I knew the answer was not just going back into ministry. Like I knew that that wasn't it. It. But the part, I think the way I framed it in the past is like the part that I like was like having spiritual conversations and yeah. learning and that sort of thing. And so really that I think originally I started a blog and like, uh, it's, it's weird how blogging is like fallen out, like people yeah, stop. Yeah, no like one you really wouldn't blogs. wouldn't think like, yeah.
0: I feel like social media kind of killed blogging is along what it was? with podcasting. that I think it,
1: you must be right. I haven't thought about it. You, it's weird that people are like, I don't he, want
0: to write things anymore. Yeah, I mean, I've struggled with some of that lately myself, trying to figure out yeah. next steps or things I want to do. I'll, I'm still a little bit old school, and I'll think, like, oh, I want to, I want to write, and I need to yeah. write something once a week or every well, couple of like, days. Like, and I'm like, but where would I put it? I, I feel was like, like
1: Substack is coming. It's kind of bringing yeah. that, like people yeah, are e- doing e- that. email newsletters, yeah, have like that sort of thing, held on anyway. and really
0: grown. Yeah, but but like but that was a big
1: deal back then, like blogs. People people have blogs yeah. still, and so so I started that. And it was actually because I was delivering pizza, I started listening to podcasts. And one of the podcasts I started listening to was a podcast about how to podcast. Okay. And I don't even know why. I just was like, this is interesting. Uh, And the host was really good and engaging. And I would just listen to it while I'm delivering pizza for hours on end. And so eventually it's like, well, I know how to do a podcast now because I've listened to this. Like all the technological barriers were out of the way and it seemed doable and so, so that was kind of how that rolled over into um, the podcast thing. Okay. So, and again, like 2011, like that was a little bit novel. Like, not everyone yeah. had a podcast at that point. Actually, I was probably 2012 when I started mine. But still, it was a little bit. Uh, uh, it was kind of unusual. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, the the name. There, sometimes you'll still see people refer to this like the name of the thing, still is tied back to a piece of equipment that doesn't exist anymore like oh that, sure it's yeah, actually yeah. an ipod <laughs> yeah right uh audio cast yeah is what podcasts is. <laughs> yeah. and and so yeah like I, funny i um i listened to just a couple of, mainly i mean the first thing i was exposed to were churches that would do their sermons yeah yeah po- and i and there would be people like greg boyd or um or pastors that are from Denver that were important to me or like I would keep up with yeah, like yeah. things I couldn't hear anymore or like but the idea but I didn't know anybody who like started one. Yeah. Or, yeah. You were you were the first person I yeah. knew that, that did that. It was so it was kind of the wild west. Not every middle-aged white guy had right, a podcast exactly. then like yeah, they do now. Totally. St- including uh, still. But Yeah, here we are. So so how did you uh, how how did you decide what you were going to focus on or like what it was going to look like.
1: Well, I think I knew I think I knew I did not have the chops to just sit in front of a microphone and talk for an hour yeah. or 30 minutes for that matter consistently. So I think I knew pretty early on I wanted it to be like an interview format. And I was like, this could be in my head. I was like, if it's super successful, I could interview somebody who wrote a book. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, which is laughable now because I didn't realize how easy that was. Yeah. I also thought you were
0: doing that within a few months. Right? Yeah. If I, I, I also part. thought
1: if I get to that point, then surely I, I'll find a way. I will have found a way to like monetize this and this will be my full time job Career. sort yeah. of thing. Right. Yeah. So I realized I found out early on. I think I thought, first I was like, I'll just interview, like, a couple of pastors in town, like, some local people, and then maybe I can, like, it can snowball and I'll get to interview these people whose books I read and stuff like that. And then, it's, for some point, for some reason, at some point, I thought, I could just try to reach out to those people now, and all, it's just an email, so, like, the worst is they won't reply, or they'll reply and say no, um, and what I didn't know then is that if you've got a book to promote, you'll go anywhere, whether yeah. you've heard of this person or not. Right. And so I, that was awesome to find out when, like, people were like, "Yeah, let's do this." So, like, I, like one of, uh, like one of the first ones was Tony Campolo, who, like, to okay, me yeah. at that point was like. I loved sure. Tony Campola. He was one of the first podcasts that I discovered. Okay. He had like this radio show in, in okay. England that like oh, they yeah. turned into a podcast. Anyway, it was called Across the Pond.
0: Couldn't get it on in the States. I don't know what he the was deal able was. To stay, okay. But I loved it. I remember yeah, we yeah.
1: would listen to it on the way to seminary community. Okay. Anyway, uh, he had wrote he had written a book with Shane Claiborne. Yeah. And it just came out about that time. So and I don't even know I don't know who I contacted but I got enough. I got through, and they, he said yes. And shortly after that, Shane Claiborne did too. Yeah, and I was just like on cloud nine, like this is the best. I'm, I'm sure I'll be doing this part. I'll be doing this full time in three months or something, you know. Um, and and it was really cool to be able to talk to these people. Where was I going with this? Um. Oh well, I was funny anecdote it was like. I remember the first time I was emailed a publisher to try to get a review copy. I think it was like that book that Shane Claiborne and Tony Capola had written together. And I was trying to email them for a review copy of the book. But I didn't have language for that. And I didn't want to seem just like a freeloader. Like I'm just asking. It's like those people who like email a restaurant and be like, if you give me a free meal, I'll write a review or whatever. And they're like, I felt like that person. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure it works. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to buy every book. Like, I can't, Uh I can't, and I couldn't afford to buy every book of the people I was interviewing. So I, like, write this clumsy email about, like, I'm I'm going to have them on there. In order to promote this, could I please have a free copy of your book? And it's just so awkwardly worded. And whoever the person was wrote back. And it was, like, one sentence. It was like, yeah, you can have a review copy. What's your. I've, I've sent and out 50
0: like, of these today.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're making it more exactly. really complicated. I was like, review copy. That's what it's called. <laughs> review copy. Okay. So next time I, I write an email, I'm like, can I get a review copy for. You know, I've had people such as Shane Playborn and Jonah Kipolo <laughs> on my podcast.
0: Yeah. You just keep adding to the <laughs> names. Exactly. Like, it's,
1: yeah. It snowballs from there.
0: What's the point where it's. I mean, you have. I view you as successful i know that it maybe was naive to think you could make much money or any money or uh off of of something like that um but i also remember like the day where i a year or two in Mm -hmm. after you were up to 50 or 100 episodes or something and i was listening and these and i was like jealous that you were getting to talk to these kind of people i also remember one day looking up and you had like 18,000 Twitter followers or like I, like what what when does there start to be a little bit of a like a flywheel or you or you realize like oh now people are reaching out to me or yeah. this is
1: <clears throat> I don't yeah. know what point exactly. I will say a lot of that is due to me just being an early adopter. Okay. Just being so early to start one. Like I've got screen I've got uh screen grabs of you know being ranked like I think the highest I got ranked on iTunes in spirituality was like around 20 or something like that. Like the 20th most popular podcast or whatever. Yeah. And like a few of those, it's like, I'm right. It's like me. And then it's like, before me is like Rick Warren. <laughs> and then the other side is like relevant yeah. podcasts or whatever. I'm glad I got screenshots of that. Cause that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't look anymore. And also just the way for one thing, just the way we listen to podcasts is so different. Like iTunes is not the only game in town. In yeah. fact, it's like it may not even have the biggest market share anymore. But yeah, um, but like I could never do that today. There's just so many of them out there. So I think part of that is just due to being an early adopter, getting out there before there were so many podcasts. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know exactly when when that started happening. Um, and then the funny thing is, like now, like you mentioned, people reaching out to me to be on the podcast, like that happens less and less now. I think because there are just so many, like
0: so many I'm just yeah.
1: I'm not the only game in town by a long shot anymore. Yeah. So it's just spread out a lot.
0: Well, I don't want to jump uh, to the, to the like more present or the recent history because there may be some things in between to cover. But um, and there there have been some transitions for you where or like different things you've taken on, like the pastoral work that you may talk about soon or the writing, um, the book you were able to, to co-write and things like that, where you don't, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't podcast as much or as regularly as you used to either, right? Yeah. Yes. So like, I mean, that's got to, that's going to diminish a little bit of, For of sure. audience. Yes. And-
1: well, so I'm kind of back to... Something similar, like when we planted the church, which is like doing the thing I love, but not getting paid for it. So I've got to go do this other thing to pay the bills. You know, that's kind of how life has been. And um, real estate, I, I I'm so thankful for it. There are many like parts of it that I love very rarely am I very rarely is it like that first employment experience I had where I'm like, I, I hate this. I don't want to go in or whatever. Yeah. Like I don't ever feel like that about real estate. Having said that, I don't feel like it's my vocation in a calling sense. Yeah. Like I'm much more open with that. Um, so I think what that's looked like is there were seasons where I really pressed into the podcast. And even tried to monetize it, and and you know I would get some sponsorships, and you did your own podcasting course. I did my own podcasting course. I still have that out there. That's kind of passive, kind of updated every once in a while. Uh, So there's been some monetization, but not near enough to make a living out of. And especially with the with ads. I really just stopped doing that because it was the time that it took to chase them down, uh, secure them, record them, edit them, put them in the episode. Um, It just wasn't, it wasn't worth it to me, you know, I could take that time and just work on getting another real estate client and it would would pay off way better. So I've kind of just separated it from the income side. I do have like a a Patreon that basically covers my costs, which is nice. So yeah, there was a time where I was pushing that really hard doing episodes weekly. I can't believe I ever did that Um, because now, so I did it weekly and then there was a time, especially in the last several years during the pandemic where it was, there was no regular rhythm of releasing them. This year I just made this goal. I'm only going to, I decided ahead of time, I'm only going to do one once a month but okay. I'm going to monthly release one episode. So it's just it's kind of hobbling along, you know, as yeah. far as production. But but I still get to do it and I still love it and I I've, I've, I'm at a place where I can pay someone else to edit it and do the kind of that kind of work, the busy work that I'd never really loved doing and just focus on the interview side of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not um it is definitely an end in and of itself at this point for me, meaning I'm not doing it to promote anything else. I'm not doing it so that I could have a following to promote something in the future. Um, like it is just literally because I love doing it. And so, and that means that I'm, I'm not good at promoting it. Like I'm by the time I do the interview and it gets out there I'm kind of exhausted. So I'll tell Twitter about it and Facebook and I'm kind of done. I'll post about it once or twice yeah. and I probably shouldn't. I should do more, but at this point it's more, like, again, it's not to build up a huge audience or something like that. So I don't feel like I have to do that, you know?
0: Yeah. What, what kinds of doors has it opened for you or what kind of clarity has it brought, um, like, like has it informed other parts of life for you?
1: For sure. I feel like, I mean, no, and you'll, you'll know that I mean this, like no slack towards seminary, but I feel like I've assembled like a personal seminary experience for myself.
0: Huh. Okay.
1: Like some of the books that people will be assigned in seminary, I've interviewed the author and like, you know, I got to ask them straight the questions and Make sure I'm understanding their books and stuff like that.
0: So, Which is so funny with the name of the podcast being Seminary Dropout or like that being yeah, yeah. part of your story. And if you didn't think you were going to get those kinds of people early on, you still you named it that because that that was like a way you what like kind of a joke you could make about yourself or yeah, like like it, was kind of like, too it was kind
1: of like a double entendre in that like, yeah, I was literally a seminary dropout. But it was supposed to be kind of a metaphor for the show of like, we're gonna be talking about serious things with some scholarly people, but it's always gonna be accessible for the average
0: person. I'm not gonna take, so, take so my own. A little bit seminary, seriously. a little bit dropout kind of yeah. thing.
1: So and then and early on, really, I mean, gosh. I'm baffled by what I didn't know or understand. 10, 15 years ago, but it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, well, the degree in my undergrad for this stuff was called Christian studies. And like, I didn't know till way later that like in academia and higher ed that like, they don't call it that it's like, there's biblical studies and there's theological studies and there's Christian history and like these yeah. are all their own disciplines you know what I mean and so like in my head just for a long time all this was just like Christian studies stuff you know yeah. what I mean and so like I would look at a book by you know Shane Claiborne the same as I would look at a book by Stanley Hauerwas okay. or like do you know what I'm yeah, saying Like yeah. and And those are all, like, I love both of those people so much and all their works, but it's very different. And in the beginning, I was doing, I would talk to the Christian mommy blogger or whatever about their book about, you know, living without shame or whatever. Yeah. Um, And then there's there's totally value in that. Um, But I think I've slowly migrated towards more academic stuff. That's not to say, like, I wouldn't, I won't keep interviewing Um, like musicians and stuff like that. Like, I I love interviewing this type of people. But um, just that's where my interests have migrated to more of the academic side. And so it's, you know, when the name comes in, it really does feel like, I really do love being able to take something that is really, that kind of tears down that wall between Academia and the church pew, you know. Like, I got to interview just recently. This was like huge for me. This is the other thing is like, uh, all of these things are not conducive to a large audience. Like, yeah. Because if I could get a big name, you know, if I don't know, if I get Rob Bell or whatever, like, everybody knows who that is. Yeah. But like, and you did do that once. And I did that once. Yeah. Okay. And, but like, this summer I got to interview John Barclay. It's so like, okay. Very few people know who he is. Um, But people in academia, like, he's a huge deal. And he's a huge deal to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's written, he wrote this book called Paul and the Gift that, like, a lot of people think is, like, the most important biblical studies book in the last 50 years or whatever. Yeah. And so, like, I got to, like, read the book and ask him questions about it. And now, like, you know, people who maybe not have not been able to be exposed to John Barclay get to... Know about him through a podcast. Like, that's the coolest thing ever. Right. You know, maybe yeah. it's only five people
0: now, but that's okay. No, I mean, it, once it's created, once you've put it out into the world, who knows it's where it's going to, what it'll do. Like, yeah. did, was the podcast how you, I don't remember how, how you and John Perkins found each other. Was yeah, yeah. the podcast okay. so, how you, yeah, and that's probably,
1: right? that's, yeah, if you talk about doors that open, like, that's probably the big one. Uh, so I've told you this story before because you and I had talked even before a while all this about like how we we're both John Perkins fanboys.
0: Who, who's like Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo's like grandfather. Like, yeah, they Like real. spiritual. Yeah, or like, yeah. The person that was kind of a forerunner yeah. behind the scenes in some ways. Yeah,
1: so. absolutely. Yeah. So like I always tell people, like, if you don't know who he is, like go read. Uh, I recommend uh, Let Justice Oh gosh! Roll, yeah. Let justice roll down. Yeah. Roll. Um, so that's his kind of his first memoir that he came out with. But just an amazing guy, um, uh, black guy, grew up in the deep south, kind of in the Depression thirties and forties, and uh, his just thirty thousand view foot view of his life. His brother had gone off to war. He came back and was killed by law enforcement in his town he went to California and tried to get away from all that kind of made a life for himself in California and did really well especially for you know a black man in the 50s and 60s and uh but through circumstances uh became a Christian during that time and got a conviction that he needed to go back to the deep south to help other black people who were struggling so moved back again in the middle of the civil rights movement and did various things started co-ops just all uh both like social justice side very much with christ as a center like co-ops and um Oh other kind of like voter registration drives, stuff like yeah. that, but also like Bible studies and all kinds of things, children's ministries. And when then you know the civil rights movement starts really get going, he would leave marches and stuff, and this inevitably led to him being falsely arrested by the Mississippi Highway Patrol and spent a night in jail being tortured by them all night. Yeah. And you know, coming out the other side and being a guy who's preaching about um, racial justice and reconciliation, and just kind of made it his life work and mission. So, you and I were big fans of him, yeah. And I had reached out to him for an interview for the podcast, and he was actually going to be in Austin for to speak at a a conference. And they said, "Hey, once you once you come to this hotel, and you can do the." The interview there, and I'm like, I'm gonna get to meet this guy face to face. This is so cool. And they said, Will you will you send your questions ahead of time? I was like, Yeah, we can totally do that. And so did that, showed up, and I remember I met him in the lobby eating breakfast. And he had like a like, intern with him that was kind of helping him around. And he said, I'll never forget, he said, Your questions were really good. They kind of told a story. And he said, I was wondering, he said, yeah, I don't even think he asked. He said, like, I'd like for us to write a book together. <laughs> and I remember, and I remember just kind of yelping out like, yeah, okay, yes. And then I immediately felt stupid because it was like, he's obviously not asking you to write a book with him, literally. <laughs> he's saying, you sent so many questions, you guys could have written a book together. And I'm feeling really dumb, but I'm also, he keeps talking and I realized he was being serious. yeah. yeah. And the funny thing was, like, all the questions were just about his life. Like, basically, like, follow-up questions from reading Let Justice Roll Down, like his biography, you know. And he's already got a biography. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, long story short, we did a kind of interview that day and made plans to to call each other and do some more follow-up stuff. This lasted... This set into motion, like, a book writing process that lasted, like, five, six years.
0: Yeah. As an outsider, (laughs) that seems right to me. As someone who, like, believed you... (laughs) <laughs> and was friends with you, and like loved you, and wanted the best for you. I also you this is going to happen. you were like a, absolutely. There was justified. some kind of misunderstanding, or like if right. this were going to happen, it would have happened by now. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. But poor Shane was yeah, kind of what really I yeah, felt for. Right, per- right, I
1: think a lot of people did.
0: And then it was only in the like third or fourth year where we all really started worrying about you and your mental health. And yeah, you were like, you're wondering if, oh, like like ever, if there ever was an interview, yeah, yeah. if I ever met him at all. Right?
1: <laughs> no, you were right to be worried, for sure. Part of this process is at some point he changes his phone number and doesn't let me know. <laughs> and I can't get a hold of him. And at this point, when that happened, I had already flown to his house, spent days with him uh, talking in his kitchen, and, and I have no way to get a hold of him anymore. And so I don't know. You can cut off the story if you want. But no way. I one day I got I got an email from this like Christian PR company and they're like we're we're having this event at Texas Motor Speedway this youth event and um, if you want like we're inviting press and if you want if you want to be a part of the press let us know and I'm like this is weird and it looks real it just it just looks bad like not something I want to be a part of I'm looking through the people. And it's like, and some are like weird podcast preachers that I've never seen outside of iTunes. Like apparently they have a big following because they're like ranked really highly, but they're just, they give me red flag and red flag vibes, you know, anyway. And, and I'm looking at the list and, and John Perkins is on the list and I'm like, Hmm. So I write back and I'm like, "Yeah, count count me in. I'll be there."
0: So I I wasn't gonna fly to Mississippi and like track him down at his house. Exactly. But I'll I'll drive three hours. I'll go to Dallas.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I get the press credentials, which I don't know if you know this. No one, there's no accrediting body for press credentials. Okay. So what I'm getting at—it makes like a lot of I sense. Now when I photoshop the about badge. Some press. Yeah. yeah, I photoshopped the badge. You can just call yourself press in this com- in this country, apparently. Yep. So I've still got it somewhere, my press badge that I made up. <laughs> um, and they put us in this like press room at D- Texas Motor Speedway, and the whole thing, my initial impressions of this c- thing, this event, were totally correct. Like it had a total like youth group day at Six Flags vibe. You know what I mean? Just kind of like a very shallow, like pep rally for Jesus kind of thing, except for a couple of speakers. And John Perkins speaks. And the way it's been happening all day is the person speaks and then they come and do a lap in the press room and he speaks. And then he comes in and I go up to him and I'm like, Hey, remember me? We're writing a book together, and yeah. he goes, "Yeah, we worked really hard on that. <laughs> like, yeah, we did." I know. Like, you should give me your new phone number when you change phones. Anyway, so, um. so that's how like it didn't all. That's one point where it totally could have all fallen apart, yeah. and thankfully didn't. But. At some point after that, he came and stayed here with us uh, for a few days. I've got this great, this beautiful picture of my family sitting with him in the fireplace. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we had this beautiful time, beautiful memories. Wound up finishing the book, finally. It's incredibly short for how long it took. But, (laughs) um, you know, I got to co-write a book with John Perkins. Yeah. It's crazy. So.
0: Apart from how long it took, or how maybe some of it was made more difficult by, by co-writing or co-writing with him, um, would you want to do that again? Like, do you do you see yourself writing more in the future, or did that just okay?
1: I think so. I think I've learned a little bit from the first time around, and I think I I don't want to write one just to write one, uh, but I've got we've got kind of something that I'm kind of working on right now and I'm, but I'm open-handed with it. Like it may never turn into a book, but it's possible it could, but also life is really busy and I'm always like juggling all these things. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, to answer your question, I would like to.
0: Well, I, I didn't know what, what you see as like next steps for you or like the path that, that you're on or that you've been brought to from all of your experiences. And, um, you, you have a had a second kid how, how old is your son at yeah. this point like, uh, since, so uh,
1: Amos uh, is six
0: yeah yeah and uh, and then you, you alluded to earlier the the co-pastoring work that you do <laughs> yeah. currently but like yeah w- what do you as much as we're ever able to what do you think like the continuation of your path is or like what's next well
1: I guess the The big thing, most immediate, is something I've told you about recently, which I'm looking to return back to seminary. That's what I was fishing for. Okay, good. (laughs) Good. Um, I'm incredibly excited about that. Like, I'm kind of surprised how excited I am about that. Uh, The first time I went to seminary, first two times I went to seminary,
0: (laughs) Um, You don't have to count the first one. That's, I mean, that's mulligan. Yeah, that's, we um, had it annulled. Right. That's, that's Katrina's fault and maybe a little bit George W. Bush. Yeah. (laughs) um, yeah, Yeah. yeah.
1: So the, yeah. So when I went to Samaria before, quite frankly, I didn't care so much about the learning. I wanted the piece of paper that would allow me to work in a church that's what that was the way i saw it you know it would allow me to get church jobs more church jobs that would open up those pathways for me i didn't so much care about what i was learning and especially the the stuff that i saw as less practical like like oh christian history classes like I, i hated those i saw no point and and then the language classes were, part of it's just languages are harder, but it's just, it didn't feel like, I was, m- I was more concerned, like, what's going what's gonna to help me be a better pastor to my people? Now, the reality is that I think languages would absolutely help you do that when you're reading out of a book that was originally Greek and Hebrew. Um, but, yes, I just wanted... I just wanted the paper on the wall so I could do what I wanted to do. I'm completely the opposite this time. Like I have a real thirst for the knowledge and to learn under experts and to really soak it up for, for its sake, for sake of knowing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, not, not just for the degree at the end. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. Um, it's not a great time in my life to be doing that, but I don't know that there is going to be one.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I think some of those kinds of things probably only get harder. Yeah. Uh, to to do, Well,
1: yeah. and the other thing is, you know, look, I could wait till my kids are out of the house. I could wait till I can retire someday. And, and none of those are bad ideas. But just life is getting short. And if I want to... I would love to have some kind of career, whether that's what I gravitate most toward is, is possibly teaching someday. So if I want to do that, I mean, you know, sure. I could start doing that at 65 and that would be fine until I didn't have the energy to do it. But I'd rather, if I could start doing like a new career like that at 45, then I would love to do that. Yeah.
0: That's, That's great. I mean, I love your perspective on, um, that the most important thing to you right now is is the actual knowledge or like the study like that 's yeah. what you get most fired up about <clears throat> and there 's a goal, uh, maybe like a vocational goal behind yeah. that too, but that you 're not holding on to that necessarily as tightly as you are the pursuit of the knowledge, which is really yeah. different than the way we did it like the first time around yeah, when for sure, for you talk about like well i 'm putting myself in that boat too okay. the, the immediacy. Yeah, uh, it was what felt like. Oh, I, I, I don't want to just keep learning about this stuff. I want to go and do it.
1: Yeah, right, um, right.
0: I, I could be a be a pastor now. Um, exactly. I mean, those were yeah. my exact words with with stopping seminary when I did. And like, I'll there's seminaries in Texas. I'll pick it up later, or yeah. or maybe not at all. It doesn't matter. I, I want to be married, and I want to have a family, and I want to be a pastor now. Um, and there's not a doubt in my mind that I that it would have like matured me in different ways okay. or if I would have stuck with it or there would have been different paths. But the path you wind up on is the path you wind up on. And I wouldn't give up anything about life yeah. the last 20 years right. since making what was probably not a great decision. Sure. Um, so I totally get like how it felt like there was this immediacy and we got to get to it. Right. Uh, as opposed to now feeling like no i need i need this kind of foundation to do some of the kinds of things i might want to do but but what's most important right now is that i just want to do it right and like i've i've lived long enough and and have done enough different kinds of things that i know that that's a gift to have Mm -hmm. a season where Mm -hmm. you want to do anything yeah if we're really honest as opposed to like I've got to do this. I've got to meet these needs. I've got to take care of these other people. But, like, no, there's, like, a fire inside of me. I want to do this. Yeah. Um, I'm at a point in life where I feel like shouting from the rooftops, like, if you you only get that fire maybe, like, five, if you're lucky, ten times in a it's life, like, yeah. jump into it. Right. Onto it. I don't know yeah. if that's the... That <laughs> doesn't sound fun to jump, jump into it. fire? Yep. Yeah, I screw up my metaphor, but... So that's excited. I'm like, excited for you. Thanks um, that, that you're to that spot. Um, I want to talk a little bit about like where, uh, like that's coming up, but like normal day to day right now. Like what is, what does life look like for you? The, the family look like for you? And um, yeah, where is that going?
1: Yeah, I feel like. A place where I'm just very thankful, and more probably more content than I've been in a long time. I think part of that's just getting older. Part of that is seeing like life go sideways for a lot of friends, where it falls apart for them. You know, like the, the your marriage falls apart, or uh, you know something terrible happens to your parents or your children or something, and just kind of feeling like I've been incredibly lucky that a lot of things are just really good in my life right now so you know I think for us we are for Kate and I I think we're kind of in a period where we have kind of realized the new how purposeful we want and need to be with our faith, um, and I think it's a lot like I think it's a lot like marriage. Like I think a lot of people get married and kind of think that's going to take care of itself. Hmm. And like like health is going to be the default, and so unless you screw something up, you'll be healthy. And yeah. They, and it's the opposite, right? It's yeah. Like, it's like no, no, no you got to work at this. You know, yeah. I think we're kind of feeling like our faith is the same way. And, and you know, this it feels like something like a, a first grader could say, like it seems simple and obvious, but I think we're just like, we're seeing it for real. Um, there's a metaphor. There's a, there's a writer that has written. I need to figure out who this is. Cause I, I, tell this to people all the time and you need to know to attribute it to you, but there's a writer that writes about anti racism and, and they talk about that explaining anti racism is like you're you're on a pedway or like a moving sidewalk like you have at airports, you yeah. know. Right and that to be in to be in America is to be on this pedway that is moving towards racism. And so Like people think that just not being racist racist is enough, just standing still. but They don't understand they're on this moving sidewalk, it's moving toward it. So like if you actually want to resist that, you've actually got to walk the other way. And you actually have to walk faster than it's moving in the opposite direction, right? So that metaphor has served me so well in other areas of life too. And I think that as a Christian, just living life... Definitely in America, but probably everywhere, is you are on this pedway that is moving towards whatever you want to call it, not kingdom stuff, right? So, yeah. and that, yeah, that includes like, you know, racism, misogyny, uh, but it also includes like just greed yeah. and a certain kind of complacency and a love of stuff yeah. and selfishness all, and exact, loneliness, greed, lust, and all the, the stuff, right? Yeah. It's all the stuff. And I feel like um, it's the same thing. My natural tendency is to just stand still. Like, I'm not running towards this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, But I think we're kind of realizing that we've got to really purposefully, if we want to resist this, we've got to turn around and run the opposite direction as fast as we can. So good. Because this headway is taking us there. And it will, without our... Permission will take us somewhere that we don't want to go if we're not careful about this.
0: Yeah, that's that's really powerful. It's stuff that it's interesting you, that you started all that by talking about like faith or or, or marriage because those are things Kim and I have thought a lot about the last the last few years. But but I've talked a lot about the last year especially, <laughs> and parenting comes into play with us too. Like, cause I think, I think we did all the things you talked about, like where you just think like, well, if I don't cheat on my spouse, yeah. 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 Um, our marriage will be fine. And if I don't hit my kids, like it'd be yeah. like, then sure. I'll, if I'm not be a monster a good, and I keep them alive. i will be, yeah, I'll be a good parent. And, and then, yeah, like if I, if I don't commit apostasy, sure. <laughs> I'm like, I, we'll continue to have faith, but like it's, yeah. yeah but like you right. just get beaten down by all those kinds of things. And, and none of those are true. You've got to be proactive. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's great for you to take that metaphor um, and use it there, like from anti-racism. I mean, just that phrase wasn't one I felt like I knew four years ago, sure, pre George yeah. Floyd, pre COVID, yeah. like from the eyes were so opened by that. And because I was a person, you and I have talked plenty in the past about growing up with, around racism. Or, yeah. um, you were writing a book with John Perkins. We were like, we yeah, yeah. I've got poster of MLK on my wall. Like, sure. it's not enough to just not be a racist. Right, yeah, but right. the idea that you have to oppose other people and systems that yeah. are is, I could see how that could play into other. Um, like I used to, I used to not be comfortable, like for a while, like calling myself a feminist, you sure. know, like because I thought yeah, that yeah. was like um, felt like a battle, or a fight. Like, so sure. I believe there should be equality, but I'm not going to say it's like no, like we have got to be feminists. Yeah, like it, it's right. Uh, right. we have to, yeah, like well, the, it's not enough to just not commit the act yourself because we're. By our very nature in the society, we are a part of a rigged system, yeah. that we've got to actually right. try to destroy,
1: yeah and I think implicit with that is that this will cost you something, yeah like, and that's okay and and with totally with you know the racist thing and like you know uh, whatever like a lot of I think it's not a stretch at all for people to think about like uh, friends they might lose or family members that might be alienated or alienate you if you speak up about racism or s- something like that you know a couple of years ago i went to a, a pro- protest uh with jane claiborne where we almost got arrested we were protesting like immigration and the terrible things yeah. that were happening and immigration it's just like you've got to i think part of part of running the other way on the pedway is like knowing that like this might cost you something and you're you're down for that you know yeah, and like so I think like with our kids part of that is just kind of having this understanding that like we're not interested in being normal like just as like you know with your friends at school and stuff like if we can just take off the the table the expectation of like living life the way everyone around us is living life yeah and just establish this precedent that like we're going to do things a little bit weirdly compared to everybody else and that's okay yeah and it's not about being better than them or judging them or anything like that in fact it's like radically not judging them as part of yeah being, running the opposite way on the pedway right yeah so um i don't know just kind of establishing that with our kids and making that a big deal
0: yeah that's great you've got um You have very important short-term goals or things that you're like trying to live into day by day with your family and and with your current work and the places you find your, um, you know, that your hands are to the plow. Uh, And then you've got what seems really exciting, like some next steps and some new things too that I'm sure are going to challenge you and stretch you, but you're going into it more eyes wide open. Than you were 20 years ago. Yeah, or, so I hope.
1: Like, I hope so. There's that. I can't remember who like what sociologist was. that talks about like the, the second naivete, of like, faith and belief. Like you go, you go into belief and you've got a certain naivete, and then you kind of become disillusioned. Yeah. And there's all there's all these steps, but like the like last one is the second naivete, where it's like you, you buy in again, but you're counting all the costs like yeah. you have this great knowledge and you're it's not actually a naivete it's right your eyes wide open yeah and so i hope that's where i am i'm sure it'll be an onion and 10 years later i'll be like no you didn't know but now yeah. now you know well, which cert- is great that's what growing is certainly
0: right? we're at least like farther down the road or yeah. we know like more than we would have before um well thanks for uh, for doing this with me and uh i'm really i'm really glad to know you And um, and to get to kind of be a witness to your life and how it's how it's evolved uh, the last like decade plus. Um, So thanks for thanks for all the times you've supported me and been a friend to me, uh, including sitting down for this. Hi, it's Sam. And I've got one more thing before we end. Uh, You've heard how these talks go now. And so if you're interested in finding time with me to have a story so far session of your own, check out oakroots.net and book a time for yourself. I hope to talk with you soon.